1208, Jeff Wagner, WTMJ. Coming up in about 25 minutes, we are going to analyze the sort of incredible press conference held with uh, Russian President Vladimir Putin and President Trump and some of the remarks that have a number of people, including some of the president's staunchest supporters, kind of shaking their heads. We're going to talk about that, but that's going to come up at 1235. I want to start off the program by by jumping back to a fascinating report that our colleagues and friends at today's TMJ4 did the other day. Now, if you are a regular listener of this program, you, you know that I feel that one of the things that really negatively impacts the quality of life in a community is if you let begging, panhandling, bums, use whatever term you want to use, if you let that get out of control. And that is precisely what was happening in Milwaukee. You had people that were begging money all the time, all over, and it was becoming a quality of life issue. This is a huge issue in some cities where it's getting to a point where some people just won't go downtown. Read about what is going on in San Francisco. There's a new mayor there who's just kind of like the old mayor, is just sort of appalled at the fact that, you know, you walk the streets of one of the great cities of North America, and and you can't walk a block without having five, six, seven people aggressively beg money for from you. And at some point in time, that starts to get old. Well, you had this happening in Milwaukee, and the Common Council, by a unanimous vote, and the Milwaukee Common Council almost never does anything unanimously, they voted to pass an ordinance back in October of 2016 with regard to so-called aggressive panhandling. One of the key elements of the ordinance, and it's something that I supported totally, was the fact that it made it illegal for people to stand on freeway off-ramps or on median strips and beg money. Now, I... I one of the things that I think is so important for this is it is a safety factor. For example, and again, one of the, I, I see this all the time. I, one of the ways I come to work is you get off of, I, I come southbound on I-43, you get off on the Capitol Drive exit, it, it dumps you out, first of all, if you're going south on Green Bay Avenue, then you go two blocks, you get to Capitol Drive, you take a left, you go, so you go east, that's how you get to WTMJ if you're coming from the north via the freeway. Um, what happens is, There are two or three median strips and corners where people are making left turns and they have to stop. On a regular basis, there are panhandlers, and and it's the same group. I mean, I I would say it's the same nine or ten. They rotate different spots, but in that three-block range, there's probably one, two, three. Today, I saw four different panhandlers. Sometimes there's five or six standing in the median strip. Sometimes they are very, very aggressive. Sometimes they'll walk out into the street, um, including standing there against the light if they think they want to get money from a car that's in one of the lanes that they're not next to. I have seen people slow down, despite the fact that they have a green light getting off the freeway, slow down and come to a stop to throw money in buckets of these people. It is a huge safety hazard. And I'm sorry, but I don't think it's a good idea for people to be walking um, between the two lanes as cars are getting off the freeway. It is also against the law. Now, even though it is against the law, like I say, I all right, if I... Five days a week, I come down here to WTMJ. Let us say, for the sake of argument, I get off on that freeway exit four of those five days. Every day of my life that I get off that freeway exit, unless 
it is raining really hard or snowing or really, really cold or sometimes really, really hot, I will see at least two, and like I say, sometimes as many as four or five or six, people who are all violating the law by panhandling. And they're, they're doing it over and over again. It's the same thing if you go to Potawatomi. If you go to Potawatomi, you get off right the, the freeway before you go off the, the viaduct. There are always two or three or four people on those various corners trying to beg money. And I know that happens at other corners as well. Those are two that I notice quite a bit, people panhandling. They have, they've even put up a sign um, by Potawatomi as you're going um, south across the uh, viaduct, um, so as you're crossing um, St. Paul there, they've got a sign on the median that says loitering is not permitted. Well, okay, that doesn't stop anybody from doing this. So I see this over and over again. And what's going to happen is somebody's going to, apart from the quality of life issues, somebody's going to get hit and killed, whether it's a panhandler or whether it's a car that slows down, um, whatever. Something bad is going to happen. And I always wonder, there's this ordinance, why aren't these being, why aren't these being enforced? So anyhow, what today's TMJ4 does is they go out and they look at the number of citations that were written, um, over the last, they, the, the ordinance went into effect in October of 2016, but they say, let's look at the number of citations that were written in 2017. Let's look at the number of citations that were written in 2018. Now, Gru, who's producing the show today and always, I tweeted this out. You didn't see the story, did you? Okay, so you don't know. All right, let's just take 2017. But you, you live in the city of Milwaukee. You know what I'm talking about. You go around, you, you see these people begging money all the time. How many citations do you think would have been written last year, 2017? Just the whole year. Okay, hundreds maybe? I mean, you think given all the all the panhandling you see out there, hundreds maybe? You see it a lot? Right? You say probably not hundreds, even though you see a lot of it, right? It's constantly, right. All right, for the entire year of 2017, the Milwaukee police issued... 95 tickets, not 95 tickets in January, not 95 tickets in May or June. They issued 95 tickets the whole year. The largest month was July of 2017 when they wrote 15 tickets, 15. All right, 2018, the first six months of 2018, they have written a total. Wait for this. Of 36 tickets, June, eight tickets, May, four tickets, April, eight tickets. All right, here's the bottom line. Ride with me one day. Get off the freeway at Capitol Drive. You will be able to write eight tickets, six tickets on any given day. And then go down to Potawatomi. After you leave here, you'll be able to write another four. Just just those two intersections alone, you could write 10 in one day, and it happens day after day. Bob Donovan, Milwaukee Alderman, who sponsored the ordinance, is saying, um, you know, hey, hey, the number of citations given out seems low. No kidding. 414-799-1620. That's the Acunet Mortgage Talk and Text Line. Now, look, I understand the Milwaukee police have all sorts of things on their hands. I, I get it. But at the same time, you know, if, if you've got this ordinance on the book, it is absurd and it is insulting to not be writing tickets. And apparently they're not. And I guess this is the question, you know, what's up with the mayor? 
What's up with the former police chief? What's up with the new police chief? Why aren't we issuing citations and getting the panhandlers off the median strips if everybody agrees, number one, it is a safety issue, and number two, it is a quality of life issue? 36 tickets the first six months of this year. I swear to God, follow me around. You could write 36 tickets in a three-hour pattern just in the areas that I drive on a regular basis. 414-799-1620. Scott in Cudahy. Scott, you're first. Good afternoon. Good afternoon, Jeff. Um, what this topic boils down to, it boils down to is a matter of, of, of law enforcement priorities and what they want, to, what they choose to enforce and what not to enforce. I'm sure you're well aware as a former former federal prosecutor that 99% of the laws that are on the books would ever, never even get enforced. So from your perspective, what laws do you feel are being enforced right now that should not be enforced? Well, I, I don't accept that it's a zero. I don't accept your, Scott, I don't accept your premise that if you... If you have a police officer driving down Green Bay Road and he stops to issue a bunch of tickets and move some panhandlers on, that that, mean, that means he can't enforce other laws. I don't see it as a zero-sum game at all. You know, you've got all sorts of cars that are patrolling. When you drive past one of these people, stop and start writing them citations. That That's all. Now, thanks for calling. I mean, I, I don't accept this as the zero-sum game. Well, if you if you enforce these panhandling laws, that means that you can't enforce people running red lights. No, no, it doesn't. It means as you're driving around, if you see the panhandlers that are on some of these corners where they operate, you write them citations, and if they come back, you write them citations again, and if they don't you know, show up for court, then you arrest them. That That's what's going on, or else let's just forget about it. But this was an ordinance that was passed unanimously because everybody agreed quality of life and a safety issue, and I think it is very, very clear it is not being enforced. 414-799-1620. Let's talk to Tom in Milwaukee. Tom, you're on WTMJ. Hello. Yes, this is Tom. Thanks. Yes, sir. Hey, uh, I'll just say on the St. Paul issue, uh, I have business right in that area. Right. I've personally called uh, MPD many times. I've actually met with them at the intersection. I've uh, been told, geez, you know, we know it's a law. We'd like to do something, but, you know, this is low priority. Um, but I can tell you, honestly, um, the reason for panhandling on the 25th in St. Paul is, um, mostly drug driven and uh, mm-hmm. it's it's unfortunate but they they're turning their, a blind eye to this and, and it affects the whole neighborhood yeah they are no thank right they are turning a blind eye to this and and again it's it, all you would need is it roll calls all right you know these motorized police they say okay when you're driving by and you see this stop give these people citations and move them along and then when you're driving again 30 minutes later if they're back there all right, then you start to deal with it more aggressively. But why have these ordinances if you're going to look the other way? And there's no other conclusion you can have. 36 tickets written in six months. Like I say, you could write 36. I, let me do a ride along. I can find you 36 people who are violating this ordinance in a three-hour period. We continue the conversation next. 1219, Jeff Wagner, WTMJ. 1222, Jeff Wagner, WTMJ. I, I admit that I... I found this Channel 4 report to be absolutely stunning. In the city of Milwaukee, pretty much anywhere you drive, you're going to be able to see, even though it's against the law, you're going to be able to see the, the various panhandlers, bums, fill in the fill in the blanks, who are out there um, on the medians against the law. Well, the, part of the reason is, for all of 2017, 
the cops only wrote 95 tickets. For the first six months of 2018, they've written 36. Like I say, seriously, drive with me around the city of Milwaukee for three hours. You will be able to write 36 tickets. What is going on here? Let's talk to Mark in South Milwaukee. Hi, Mark. Hey, what's going on? Uh, real quick, I drive Uber, and when we have out-of-town people, let's say someone comes in, and they're staying at the Fister, and they want to go down to Pato. Right. Uh, we take them down there, and the comments are, don't you have any control over this? Or, right. dude, what's up with that? Or all those things. Well, well yeah, especially... Especially when you see the people, it's it's not just on, keep in mind that this ordinance doesn't deal with the sidewalks. We're talking about people that are in the median strips, that are walking in traffic in many cases. And I'm sure a lot of -of out-of-town visitors are going, what the heck is going on here? And you know what's going to happen, Mark? Someday somebody's going to hit one of these guys or somebody, there's going to be an accident because somebody's swerving um, where somebody else is stopping to give them money. This is a safety issue, and it's being neglected by the Milwaukee Police Department. Yeah, Pato, I think people are feeling a little guilty because they just won money or whatever, and they'll right. pull over. Yeah. And you'll have traffic stopped to five or six cars, yep. and this guy's walking down in the street, yep. walking down from car to car to car because he feels it's a good place to get money. Yeah, right. No, thanks. I mean, I, I, have, I have seen that. Both on Capitol Drive and look, I, I, and the reason I'm picking on these two intersections is because these are areas that I, that I go on an occasional basis. But I mean, I've seen some of them are so bold that if, okay, Capitol Drive, you're getting off I-43. There's two lanes of traffic getting off. I will see bums, panhandlers, whatever, who will be walking between those two lanes actually trying to solicit money. And I'm thinking, all right, what, what's going to happen? One of these guys is going to get hit. Or, like I say, a car is going to slow down to give them money or stop when they're supposed to be driving and somebody's going to rear-end them. This is a disaster waiting to happen. And I appreciate that. I appreciate that the police have all sorts of stuff going on. But this is one of these quality-of-life things that you would like to see them be aggressive with. And if all this takes... Is the shift, first of all, it starts with the new police chief, starts with the new police chief, and then it goes down through the shift commanders who say, you know, we know where these intersections are, where we've got these bums, and what we want you to do is as you're doing your regular drive-bys, I'm not saying stop and write somebody a ticket instead of going to a homicide scene. That's not what I'm arguing. But as you are driving around doing your patrols, all right, let's drive through those intersections, and when you see these panhandlers there, and it's the same ones day after day, write them the citations, and if they don't show up, and most of them probably aren't going to show up in court, well, then what happens is the court's going to issue an arrest warrant, then you go arrest them. I mean, right, that's how you get these people off the streets, or else... Let's just forget about it. Now, the city has this big campaign encouraging people not to give money to panhandlers. That is something that I completely and totally support. I am not this cruel, heartless conservative. I, I think, you know, it's out. If you want to give money to help the poor and unfortunate people around here, I, I say do it. You know, find find a food bank. You know, find, uh, you know, a, a homeless shelter, whatever, 
and write them a check, all right? Because there you know the money is going to be well spent. You give $5 or $10 or whatever to somebody that's standing on the streets. First of all, you don't know if they really need it. Number two, you don't know what they're going to do with it. You give the money to the homeless shelter. You give the money to the food bank, whatever. You know it is going to be put to good use. You don't just give it to some stranger on the street who chances are probably better than even that they're going to be taking you to the cleaners and playing you as a chump, but it's also you are perpetuating the violation of the law. But it starts with the cops starting to now aggressively enforce this. So I'm with Bob Donovan. Bob Donovan is exactly right. Hey, you know, if we've got a problem with people loitering and begging, we pass this ordinance. Let's start enforcing it. And they're obviously not. It's 1227. This is Jeff Wagner, WTMJ. 1235, Jeff Wagner, WTMJ. It was a party 26 years in the making. WTMJ is excited to announce its first ever, that would be our first ever, Brewers Classic Broadcast. We are celebrating the 10-year anniversary of the Milwaukee Brewers' dramatic 2008 win against the Chicago Cubs, securing the team's first playoff appearance since 1982. That's Brewers Classic, Wednesday at 6 o'clock, sponsored by Associated Bank, U.S. Cellular, West Bend, the Silver Lining, and Woodman's Food Markets. All right. Now, let me just say, I've always, always, always tried to be consistent in in trying to analyze things. And, and let me just say at the beginning that if Barack Obama, in my opinion, had held a, a news conference similar to the one that President Trump had, there would be conservative heads exploding all across this country. And, and I will tell you, some conservative heads are, in fact, exploding. Now, let's review the bidding here for uh, a minute. President Trump has his meeting with Russian President uh, Vladimir Putin uh, of, of Russia today. By way of background, and, and feel free to disagree with me, but Russia is not our friend. Russia is an enemy. Russia is an aggressive, totalitarian state that has demonstrated time and time again that they are, whether it's a Cold War or whatever you want to call it, they are intent at advancing their interests at the expense of democracy. All right? You you saw this with Russia's invasion of Crimea a couple years ago and the fact that they were able to get away with it. Russia is not our friend. Now, at the same time, I fully understand and agree that it doesn't, you 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 want to try to do everything you can to avoid getting into a shooting war with a superpower like Russia. That's just the reality. But at the same time, let, let's not lose sight of the fact that Russia Russia is about Russia's interests, and Russia's interests are in trying to destabilize the West so they can advance their causes. That is what I believe. We can trade with Russia. You can hope to have a decent relationship with Russia. But you cannot trust Russia as far as you can throw it. Now, last week, for the second time, a federal grand jury has returned an indictment. The indictment, which uh, dropped on Friday, um, indicted 12 Russian intelligence officers for cyber attacks during 2015 and 2016 that were intended to interfere in the presidential contest. If you read the indictment, and I did, so you don't have to, it explains how Russian intelligence officers hacked into the Democratic National Committee and the Clinton presidential campaign. All right, so it's they have been indicted. All right, so you have Russian intelligence officers who did it. I, I think 
that it is almost impossible to argue with a straight face that Russia did not try to was not trying to meddle in the 2016 election on the side of Donald Trump. Well, why would they do it for Donald Trump instead of Hillary Clinton? Because I think they believe that Donald Trump would be more friendly to them than Hillary Clinton would. All right. Now that that so they felt it was in their interest to do it. I don't think anybody can seriously argue that Russia was not trying to meddle in the election. Did it change the results of the election? Well, I'm not going to say that. No, I understand that there's some people who say absolutely not. There's some people who say it did. I, I'm not sure it had much, if any, effect of that. But but they tried to do it, and they did it with some degree of success. So did they meddle? Did they try to interfere? I, I, I think the answer is, of course, yes. Now, that's not the only question. President Trump does not like the fact that he is under investigation for so-called collusion. And collusion isn't, did the Russians meddle? Collusion is, did President Trump himself, when he was candidate Donald Trump, or, you know, members of his campaign staff, did they collude? Did they engage in a conspiracy with Russia to try to get Russia to meddle? All right. That's a different sort of question. And at least so far. Despite the fact that you've had this investigation by Robert Mueller going on, it seems like forever. It's probably actually been you know close to a year and a half. I, I there hasn't been any evidence, substantive evidence that emerged that can link whatever Russia was trying to do to certainly President Trump. I and you know and I understand some of the hardcore you know Trump haters don't want to hear that, but that's just I think what the reality is. Do I think Russia was trying to mess around in our elections because they thought it was in their interest to get Donald Trump elected? I do. I believe that firmly. Do I believe that Donald Trump himself was engaged in a conspiracy with these Russian agents to try to do that? I don't I don't believe that happened. I mean, maybe there's going to be some smoking gun evidence that proves me wrong. Sorry for the people who want Trump impeached, but I don't think that you're going to see that. But it doesn't change the fact that Russia did, in fact, meddle. That's what I, I and I don't I don't understand how you can argue that. So now you have this meeting between uh, the president of Russia and between President Trump. All right. So they have this press conference afterwards, and you know, and we we carried this. And some of the president's remarks were were very interesting. He says, for example, they say they think it's Russia. This is with regard to like the meddling. I have President Putin. He just said it's not Russia. Um, um, I will say this. I don't see any reason why it would be. Huh. Well, okay, the, the reason I would stop there for a second. The reason, Mr. President, why it would be is because Russia would rather, they thought that they had a better chance of working out favorable deals with you than with Hillary Clinton. So that would be the, the reason. He goes on to say, I have great confidence in my intelligence people but I will tell you that President Putin was extremely strong and powerful in his denial today. When asked whether he believed Mr. Putin or his own intelligence agencies, Mr. Trump changed the subject, demanding to know why the FBI never examined the hacked computer servers of the Democratic National Committee and asking about the fate of emails missing from the server of Hillary Clinton. Where are those servers? Where are Hillary Clinton's emails? Um, so what you have is a pretty clear break between the president of the United States, the intelligence community, 
the legal community to the extent that there's now been an indictment returned. And I think even a lot of the members of his own staff, who I think pretty much clearly believe that, yeah, Russia was trying to screw around with our elections, whether they did or not, who, you know, that's a whole different story. All right, 414-799-1620. That is the Acunet Mortgage Talk and Text Line. Now, some of the reaction to this is is way, way, way over the top. I've spent the last 45 minutes. It's one of the reasons I sort of pushed this topic into this segment of the program instead of leading with it, is I wanted to really kind of take in some of, of the reaction. And, of course, the social media world, the Twitter world has just exploded. You, you have a number of people on the left um, using phrases like this is this is treasonous this is a high crime a misdemeanor he deserves to be impeached for for saying these things and that is a complete and total I think overreaction at the same time though what is the president of the United States doing going on a stage like this and essentially saying that he takes the word of the Russian dictator over the word of the U.S. intelligence community. 414-799-1620. That's the Acunet Mortgage Talk and Text Line. Now, I, I understand you can say, well, what is President Trump supposed to do? Stand at this press conference and to his face call Vladimir Putin a liar. All right, well, all right, maybe, maybe you don't do that. But at the same time, do you want to be crawling in bed with him? Isn't there a different way you can deal with this? I, I thought this was incredibly mishandled. I, I, I did. And I, I think this is going to hurt President Trump's credibility among Republicans, among Democrats, and among other people. Because I, I don't think you can even argue that Russia didn't mess around or try to mess around with the election. 414-799-1620, your reaction to President Trump's comments this morning. Um, we discuss next. If you're on the line, please hold on. It's 1244. This is Jeff Wagner, WTMJ. 1247, Jeff Wagner, WTMJ. Now, the other thing to come out of this is when asked which side was responsible for damaged relations, the president said, I hold both countries responsible. And and this this set off lawmakers on both sides of the aisle. Uh, ben Sass, who's a Republican from Nebraska, said, that's bizarre and flat out wrong. The United States is not to blame um, talking about how, well, okay, you know, you've got Russia invades the Crimea. All right, that that's that's an issue here. Four one four seven nine nine one six twenty. Let's talk to Dan on the South Side. Dan, you're on WTMJ. Jeff, I think that's absolutely disgusting for what he did. But my question to you: How many Republicans are going to call him out on this? How many are going to say this is not right? I mean, how far are they going to go? Well, we'll see. I, I mean, we'll we'll see. I think this again. I I think that there's. You, you, I think there's a lot of people who are looking at this, especially after this indictment comes out on Friday, that pretty much lays out in, in great detail how Russian operatives tried to hack into the election. And I think there's a lot of there's a lot of Republican legislators who don't necessarily want to get on the bad side of the president, but at the same time, they don't want to be on the bad side of the intelligence community and the facts. So I think it's going to be an interesting thing. I My, go ahead. Another question. Yeah, right. Here's the thing. We all know that he, they've been publicizing it, that Sean Hannity and the, uh, the other guy is going to have a, a, a meeting tonight. I mean, they're going to have a conference tonight with the president. Now, everybody's been watching that. How much more is he going to say or not say about what happened at the meeting? And, and are the Republicans going to... What's going to happen? Well, I, and again, th- th- I mean, I think that's a fair question, and, and time will end up telling. Um, but this, the president has put 
by by these remarks. Look, and, and I I understand. Like people, I'm sick of the Russian thing. All right, I you know we can continue investigating this, but I I, I don't think we're going to learn much more. Again, I I think it's pretty self evident what happened. Russia tried to meddle in our elections. Just like, and I'm not making any moral equivalency. Like I think our CIA has tried to meddle in elections before. Russia, you know, was doing that. All right, and, and that's what this indictment reflects. You know, did they succeed? Did Hillary Clinton lose because of Russian meddling? I don't think so. Did Donald Trump collude with the Russians? No, I don't think so. But like I say, there, there's two different issues. One is did they meddle? Two was their collusion. The president keeps talking about there being no collusion, and I think that's. I think that that's probably true. I understand some people don't want to hear that, but I think that's going to be the case. But the second issue about did Russia try to do it? Of course they did. Now, the the president, I think, could have said many different things. And I appreciate he's in a difficult situation. You're being pushed on this issue and you don't want to call the Russian president a, a liar to his face. That doesn't accomplish anything. But he could have handled it a lot differently by without necessarily calling a liar he could have ducked the question somehow but but he didn't and i think he's put a lot of to your point republicans kind of in a trick box 414-799-1620 vincent on the northwest side hi vincent good afternoon jeff what do you think you know i never thought i would see an american president stand on a national stage and throw our intelligence community and not not only them but our judicial community uh, under the bus to appease a dictator. Yeah. Uh, the fact is, is that, that that Putin stood up there had the gall to compare um, uh, American democracy. Talking about Russia was a democracy. Yeah. It was absolutely it was absolutely ridiculous to sit there and listen to this and watch it. it, it, it he's going to compare. He'd say they're a democracy in Russia, and 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 you're not going to get a peep out of uh, out of our president and say, well, wait a minute, there, there, there's 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 no situation that America compares to Russia. It, it, and, and, it, it, right. and his demeanor to our, our partners compared to his demeanor against the Putin was, is totally different. He said everything he wanted to say to, 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 to our partners. Right. Didn't say not one word against, against Putin. Certainly not publicly. I, I mean, you, you do wonder whether, I mean, was this an example where the, the president got completely and totally rolled by, you know, by, by Putin? Uh, because... Yeah, I understand you've got trade issues with Europe, and some of those points are valid, but Russia is not our friend. If my choice is Germany or France or Great Britain or Russia, I'm voting with Germany and France and Great Britain. I, I just am. And the fact is is that they're, they're, they're turning cartwheels in Russia saying that Putin did a great job. Yes, he did. Right. He did a great job in basically making our president look like a puppy. Yeah, no, thanks for the call. Well, I, I, I think there's... There, there is something to be said about that. And again, I, I've said all along, I, I think it is in the interest of the United States to try to develop, you know, a decent relationship with Russia. That, and I, I'm all in favor of that. But, you know, moving forward, I mean, I, I understand President Trump, he doesn't like the fact that he's being investigated. I get that. And, and again, I think you can argue elements of witch hunt with regard to the investigation. I, I appreciate all that. But at the same time, you know, the obsession with, you know, look at what Obama did. Well, okay, all right. I, I think that the way President Obama handled Russia's annexation of Crimea was appalling. I said that at the time. But but that now, 
you know, it, it's one thing to look back and say, well, you know, this was a disaster. Yeah, okay, he's right. But the question becomes, what are you going to do about it moving forward? And I, I think that's fair. It does not, it does not aid our allies to essentially say, gee, I'm going to believe the word of Vladimir Putin over the word of, again, as Vincent was saying, the judicial community, but also the intelligence community as well. Let's talk to Brian in Brookfield. Brian, you're on WTMJ. Hello. Yes, uh, I know that you said that he was trying to be politically correct by not calling out Putin, but yet he called out the EU, our friends and allies, and saying that they're our enemy. Why couldn't he do that with Putin? gave an interview with uh, the Sun tabloid in Britain right before you meet with Theresa May and you kind of throw her under the bus. Yep. In, in England. Yep. Yeah. I, I, I just. He didn't have an R after his name. There's no way any Republicans would be supporting. Well, I think, you know, Brian, I, I think on this issue, I, I think. That if this and that's why I'm trying to look at if this was Barack Obama or Bill Clinton who had a similar press conference, you are correct. Heads would be exploding, and I think that's a fair comment. Now, thanks. That's fair. Which isn't to say that I don't think that there's things that President Trump has done that I, I believe are correct. I think while I it's a stylistic thing, it's kind of this wreck it Ralph thing. I think he raises some fair questions about NATO, which is all right if Russia is the enemy. Why is Germany engaging in billions of trade um, through an oil pipeline, and then we're paying a disproportionate amount of the money to support NATO? Those are very, very fair questions to raise. But, uh, but yeah, saying that I, I side with Vladimir Putin over the U.S. intelligence community, I admit it's a head-scratcher. It, it just is, and it's tough to defend. 1254, Jeff Wagner, WTMJ. 1257, Jeff Wagner. All right, one of the callers said, what are Republicans going to say? Here's what Paul Ryan has to say in response to the president's news conference. There is no question that Russia interfered in our election and continues attempts to undermine democracy here and around the world. That's just not the finding of the American intelligence community, but also the House Committee on Intelligence. The president must appreciate that Russia is not our ally. There is no moral equivalence between the United States and Russia, which remains hostile to our most values, our most basic values and ideals. The United States must be focused on holding Russia accountable and putting an end to the vile attacks on our democracy. Senator Ron Johnson says, um, okay, uh, Putin denies Russian interference in American elections. He's completely wrong. This is Ron Johnson. We have the documented evidence. It's serious and it's unacceptable. So I think um, as far as trial balloons go, if the idea was we're going to blame, you know, the, the intelligence community, um, that went off like a lead balloon. It's 1258. This is Jeff Wagner, WTMJ. One oh seven, Jeff Wagner, WTMJ. So, Eric, did did I understand a report that the big mess on the freeway this morning? It, it, it they now believe that the guy might have shot himself. Yeah, on forty one forty five South near Good Hope, the one it, it right. shut down all the lanes for several hours. Yeah, they, there was a gun in the car, and he had a gunshot wound to the head, and he was by himself. Mm-hmm. Well, wow. <laughs> don't know what to say about that other than just. Wow, that's yeah, that's yeah. wow. Um, hmm. All right.
I've been wanting to talk about this for a couple days because it's been in the news, um, and now it's starting to, to come home. Let me let me sort of back into what I want to discuss with you. For for most most people who work, you are they are you are what is called an at will employee. What that means is that you can you can quit at any time. You know, if you wake up one morning, you decide, you know what, I, I want to just tell my boss to take this job and do no, you, do you know what with it? You, you can do that. I mean, there, you know, now if, if you, if you leave under bad terms, you know, it might affect you getting a recommendation or whatever, but you, you work at your will. And if you decide, I don't want to work anymore or I've got a better job or whatever, you, you can, you can do that. If you're a bartender and you've got a following, and the guy who owns a bar across the street comes to you and says, Gru, I want you to come over and tend bar for me, and I'll give you X amount of dollars more. You could walk in that afternoon to your employer, and you could say, I'm done, and you can go across the street. And that happens from time to time. Now, the flip side of that is that if you are an at-will employee, you can be fired at any time for any reason or no reason, as long as it's not an illegal reason. So if the bar, t- if your boss just simply decides, hey, you're, you're not working out or whatever, they, they can, they, they can just, they can call you in and say, okay, sorry, you're gone. If there's going to be a reduction in force, they can say, you're, you're gone. Um, we're sorry. We tried this out. It's just, I've decided I want to hire, you know, my wife's kid, um, my wife's, you know, nephew or whatever. You, you can do that. You, you can be let go at any time for any reason. Again, as long as it's not an illegal reason, you can't be fired because, hey, I, I just, uh, I, I don't, I don't want to employ people of your particular racial group, for example. Can't be fired for an illegal reason, but otherwise, you, and that happens all the time as well. People are whistled in and they're they're let go. Now, an exception to that, so that's at will employees. There is a smaller, much smaller percentage of people who are covered by employment contracts. If you are, if you are a member of the union, a union, chances are you have an employment contract with your employer that specifies how firings or discharges are going to be handled. So you have some, some redress. If you're a major league baseball player, you have a contract. Um, I have a contract with, with WTMJ, which sets forth the respective rights and obligations. They can't I guess they can't just fire me for no reason during the term of of the contract. At the same time, I can't quit. I can't just walk in and say, hey, I'm done with this without suffering certain penalties, including the fact that I, you know, there's there's all sorts of covenants. But that's the exception. Most people are at will employees, which brings me to this issue involving what they call no poach contracts. And I admit up until a couple weeks ago, I was not aware of this in many businesses throughout this country many businesses are what they call franchises um in some for example let let's use let's use mcdonald's as an example although mcdonald's doesn't have these particular deals i'm going to talk about but um mcdonald's mcdonald's the mcdonald's corporation owns a handful of McDonald's restaurants across the country. They are corporate, but only a handful. Most of the restaurants are owned by franchisees. What it is is it's people in different communities or different states 
who buy a franchise or the rights to have the McDonald's franchise. And so they run the McDonald's, but they're owned by the individual franchisee subject to the franchise agreement. And that's the way for most of the fast food operations, the, you know, whether you're talking about Wendy's or Arby's or, you know, KFC or, or any of those. It's generally, it's a franchise. It's not a corporation that runs the particular restaurant. It's somebody in the community who has purchased the franchise, has the rights to the local pizza huts in a particular area or the local gas stations or, or whatever. That's, that's how it generally operates. Well, and I didn't realize this until a couple of weeks ago. Um, there is a provision in many franchise agreements that are called, what it's called is a no poach agreement. And what that says is that let's say you're Wendy's. If you are a Wendy, you've got a Wendy's franchise. So you own 21 Wendy's in a particular area. The no poach agreement says that you are not allowed to hire employees from another Wendy's franchise. So let's say for the sake of of argument, let's say you've got my producer, Gru, who hits the lottery and owns a bunch of Wendy's franchises in Racine and Kenosha County. Right, You own those in Racine and Kenosha County. And I hit the lottery, and I own a bunch of Wendy's franchises in Ozaki and Milwaukee County. As a condition of our franchise agreement, I am not allowed to hire employees who work for you. I can't poach your employees. So if you, for example, are a Wendy's employee and you work in Kenosha, and you decide, you say, hey, you know, I, I see that there's a Wendy's in Sockville um, that needs a manager and that might be paying a little bit more. I, the You can apply, but you can't be hired because there is this agreement with Wendy's corporate and between the franchises that say you can't work. You can't hire employees from other franchises. Now, why do they have this no poach deal? Well, they have it because um, essentially it, it, it helps keep costs down. It stops one franchise owner from getting into a bidding war with another franchise owner. For example, let's say you've got that Wendy's employee that works in Kenosha and is making $8 an hour, and they see that the Wendy's in Sockville is paying $10 an hour. Well, you know, they could, they could go to their boss and say, hey, you know, I've got this experience. I know how to work at a Wendy's thing. Um, I'm going to go up to Sockville and make $10 an hour unless you up my, unless you match that offer. Well, this, this no poach agreement between the corporation and the franchises stops that, essentially says to that employee, you can't move to that other Wendy's. You can move to a new Wendy's within that the franchise owner owns. Um, so if you want to work from the, go from the east side of Kenosha to the west side of Kenosha, you can do that as long as it's owned by the same franchise, franchisee, but you can't go up to Sockville and work for that different franchisee. You are limited. And in many cases, the employees, when they go to work for Wendy's or whatever, they don't know that that's the policy. And they don't know that they've limited their ability to go work for another McDonald's. Now, this only applies within the same 
corporate structure. It doesn't mean that if you work at Wendy's, you can't go and work at an Arby's or something like that. But in many cases, it would be, hey, I'm working at the Wendy's. I've been doing this for two years. I'm making 9 or $10 an hour. I see that they're hiring more up in Sockville. Well, people don't know that they can't go and take that job. Well, a number of attorneys general um, across, and that's how you say it. It's not attorney generals. It's attorneys general. So don't send me emails complaining. It's attorneys general. Attorneys general in, in 10 states are starting to look at these franchise agreements that limit the ability of the workers to move from franchise to franchise. And as a matter of fact, a number, at least a handful of franchises already have said, okay, we're not going to pursue this. McDonald's, for example, doesn't, and I don't think they've ever done it. So if you want to, if you're working for McDonald's in Milwaukee County and you want to go to work for McDonald's in West Bend and it's owned by a different franchisee, you can do that. McDonald's doesn't have these type of clauses, but some do. All right, let's tee this up. Just one segment, 414-799-1620. That is the Acunet Mortgage Talk and Text Line. I I don't know your reaction to this, but I was kind of surprised that this went on. And I will tell you, I don't think, I don't think franchisees, I don't think like a Wendy's franchise or a Pizza Hut franchise or an Arby's franchise, I don't think they should be able to limit the movement of one employee between one franchisee and another. I I think that is unfair to the employees. And unlike somebody who's got an employment contract where you agree to different things with regard to consideration, these are at-will employees. If you work in Kenosha or you work in Sockville or wherever, you you can be fired for any or no reason. You are an at-will employee, and I think it's wrong And I don't think the companies should be able to get together these different franchisees, come to an agreement, and stop you from moving. 414-799-1620. And if it's not illegal, and like I say, 10 attorneys generals are are looking at this now, and if it's not illegal, I actually think it should be. 414-799-1620. We discuss next. How do you feel about these no-poach agreements? If you're on the line, please hold on. It's 118. Jeff Wagner, WTMJ. 121, Jeff Wagner, WTMJ. I mean, I'm trying to put myself in this position. Let's say I was working at this fast food restaurant. I'm working at the Wendy's in Kenosha, and I hear, hey, up in Sockville, there's a Wendy's. They're paying $2 more an hour. I apply up there, and all of a sudden I'm told, no, I'm sorry, we can't hire you because you work for a different owner, somebody else that owns the Wendy's franchise in Kenosha, and we've got a no-poach agreement, so no, we're not going to hire you. We said, what do you mean you're not going to hire me? That strikes me as... Well, if it's not illegal, it should be as a restraint of trade. Mike on the northwest side. Mike, you're on WTMJ. Hello. Hey, good afternoon, Jeff. Hi, Mike. Uh, I agree with you uh, completely. Uh, these aren't like anchor people for uh, national news. Uh, it's a... Uh, right, who are under a contract. Right. I mean, yeah, it, look, it's it's one thing. Okay, my contract has a no-compete clause, which says, I mean, in exchange for the, some of the things I get from the station, I agree that I'm not going to go over to... A, that I'm not allowed to go to a competitor for... X amount of time. But that's something that I've agreed to with my employer. I'm not just some at-will fast food employee who's looking to better themselves, for example. Yes, the at-will thing is the at-will is a big clause there. Uh, they can go anywhere they want. I, I don't believe that these people uh, should be barred from going anywhere. And if the employee is that much of a great employee, the franchise owner should appreciate that they're bringing in more customers to their franchise location. 
and keep them there um, and match the salaries. Well, well, it's, it, it's not that big a deal. Right, exactly. No, thanks, thanks for the call. And it's a question of, again, see, it's a question of what do the employees what do the employees know? And this idea that, no, you, you can't, I mean, I would actually think that most people figure, hey, okay, I, I'm going to go work. Let, let's, let's say I'm starting off in the, the, the Pizza Hut. And I, I don't know if Pizza Hut has one of these or not, but okay, I'm going to start out at the basic level at, at a Pizza Hut. I'm going to get that experience. And then you find out that there's a Pizza Hut in the adjacent county that has a, a job opening for an assistant manager. You say, oh, this is great. I mean, I've, I've worked at the place I'm at for now, but I'm, I'm kind of blocked because the assistant manager and the store manager isn't going anywhere. So you say, hey, I, I hear, you know, over in Washington County, they've got this Pizza Hut and the manager, uh, they, they need an assistant manager and it pays more money than the job I'm making. You go there and you're told, no, I'm sorry. Y- yes, you're qualified for the job. Yeah, we'd love to hire you, but we can't because there's this no poach agreement and a condition of our franchise, we can't hire you. That is fundamentally unfair. You were not, and I I would argue that on a lot of reasons, if it's not illegal, it should be, because you weren't a party to that agreement. You know, you're all of a sudden being shut out of a job that you would otherwise be qualified for that would better yourself, um, but but you're shut out of that, not by anything you did, not by anything that you agree to or knowingly agree to, simply by virtue of the fact that you've got, you know, the owners who've cut this deal themselves. These no poach agreements, and look, and I, I support the rights of employers to have, I think employers should have lots of freedom when it comes to who they hire and who they fire. But this notion that, you know, the, the owners can make this agreement to freeze otherwise qualified employees out of a particular job, I, I think it's wrong. And um, a, a number, to their credit, a, a number of corporations have, have taken that position as well, including, like I say, McDonald's doesn't do this. So that it's not an issue with a McDonald's. Journal Sentinel has kind of picked up on this. Battery Plus, Batteries Plus, which is based out of Heartland, um, they, they have these no poaching agreements. They're among the companies that prohibit their franchisees from hiring employees of other stores in the chain. Um, shame on them. 125, Jeff Wagner, WTMJ. 127, Jeff Wagner, WTMJ. So glad to have you with us. True story. I was in a bar Saturday night. Right? <laughs> Eric Bilstadt and my producer grew both smile at that. No, no, I was, I, I was, I was at a bar Saturday night. I was waiting for my wife to get done with work and I was talking to a number of people and one of, one of the guys told me the story about how he was down in, um, Kind of, he was, he was down in sort of the, the Mount Pleasant area and he was in a bar over the weekend and, and he was telling me the story. He said he was talking to a guy who was from the northwest part of the state who was down in that area because the guy was working. He was an iron worker who was working on building whatever they're building down at Foxconn. He had come in and, 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 and the guy I was talking to was saying, yeah, this guy was making a point of saying he had traveled essentially all the way across the state, and he was at least temporarily relocated into southeast Wisconsin because he he this is where the work was, and there wasn't work for what he did. And, and the point the guy I was talking to was trying to make was he said, look, this is for people who don't think Foxconn 
has an interest, you know, a statewide value, you should talk to this guy who was thrilled that this is where his job is. Now, it's interesting because I understand Democrats in running against Governor Walker are going to try to make a big deal of, well, Foxconn's a bad deal. I just think that's a bizarre strategy to take, given the fact that you're talking about 13,000 potential jobs in southeast Wisconsin, given the fact that today they announce uh, uh, 150 jobs in an Eau Claire for their hub. They've already announced an innovation center, 200 jobs in Green Bay, and people from all over the state coming to southeastern Wisconsin to help build it. If this is the strategy that people are going to employ, well, good luck. But I don't know. I think a company that brings jobs across the state is pretty much of a good thing. And if you're going to try to play geographical class warfare, well, it doesn't do anything uh, to help anybody other than folks in Milwaukee and Kenosha and Racine County. Good luck with that once you start to see the impact. And don't tell that to the guy who traveled from uh, the northwest part of the state who's now making good money working for Foxconn. It's 135. Jeff Wagner, WTMJ. Tomorrow marks one week since the deadly explosion in downtown Sun Prairie. What's ahead for businesses that need help to rebuild? Gene Miller has an update. 751 tomorrow on Wisconsin's Morning News. All right. I want to link two stories together and then have a discussion. So, so bear with me for a minute. You remember in, in 2015 in, in Baltimore, there was the case, the, the case of Freddie Gray. Freddie Gray, if you recall, was the the guy that was taken into Baltimore police custody and died while he was being transported to the jail. And the attorney, the city attorney or the the district attorney in Baltimore indicted a whole charged a whole bunch of police officers with crimes and all all the trials fell apart. You know, everybody there a couple people went to trial, they got acquitted. Um but it was one of these things where you had the the police Department that was essentially being put on trial. And you had all these protests and people were saying, oh, the Baltimore police are racist, et cetera, and, and et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. Well, one of the things, and now the numbers are in, and there was an interesting story in USA Today the other day about this. And one of the things that they found is that after there was this, after certain members of the community decided to go with this narrative that the police are evil and the police are out of control and the police are terrorizing the minority community. What happened was the police officers, the rank-and-file police officers that were on the street, well, they stopped aggressively enforcing the law. Now, I, I want to be fair to them. Here's here, Here's the way the story reads. Just before a wave of violence turned Baltimore into the nation's deadliest big city, a curious thing happened to its police force. Officers suddenly seemed to stop noticing crime. Police officers reported seeing fewer drug dealers on street corners. They encountered fewer people who had open arrest warrants. Police questioned fewer people on the street. They stopped fewer cars. In the space of just a few days in the spring of 2015, as Baltimore faced a wave of rioting after Freddie Gray, a black man, died from injuries he suffered in the back of a police van, officers in nearly every part of the city appeared to turn a blind eye to everyday violations. They still answered calls for help, but the number of potential violations they reported seeing themselves dropped by nearly half. 
It has largely stayed that way ever since. So what they found that happened is if, if you called in a report, I have just been robbed or whatever, the police responded. But as far as the aggressive, proactive enforcement out on the streets trying to stop trouble before it happens, the police dramatically dialed it back. And I think everybody agrees they dialed it back in reaction to the public criticism. All right, the story continues. While officers are doing what officers are doing is they are driving looking forward. They've got blinders on, said a retired Baltimore detective. The surge of shootings and killings that followed has left Baltimore easily the deadliest large city in the United States. My dad was from Baltimore. I was born in Baltimore. Its murder rate reached an all-time high last year when 30, 342 people were killed. The number of shootings in some neighborhoods has more than tripled. One man was shot to death steps from a police station. Another was killed driving in a funeral procession. What's happening in Baltimore offers a view of the possible costs of a remarkable national reckoning of how police officers have treated minorities. So what they're saying is happening is after there are all these protests, the police dialed it back. They said, fine, if if we're going to be scrutinized, if you as a community don't want us to be aggressive, if you don't want us to be aggressive and looking at criminal activity, because every time we make an arrest, and now this is me, 12 people pull out their cell phones and start recording this, and you're going to have people screaming police brutality, fine. We will stop being aggressive. And what's happened since they did it in Baltimore? The city has gone completely, totally, pardon my French, to hell from a violence perspective. Now, there's another story that happened over the weekend, not in Baltimore, but in Chicago. And here's the deal. Perhaps you have seen the video because um, the Chicago police released it right away. What happened is over the weekend, you had officers on foot who tried to question a man exhibiting characteristics of an armed person, right? This, this wasn't a report. It's officers patrolling, and they see somebody exhibiting characteristics of an armed person. In this case, a bulge in the man's waistband they suspected was a weapon. So they go up, and you perhaps... If you haven't seen the video, you will see the video because it's it's all over the news. They go up and they start to question him. The guy pushed officers away and was shot when he appeared to reach for his weapon as he fled. And, I mean, I've watched this video a half a dozen times. There's no question the guy was armed. There's no question he tried to run from the police. And there's no question he was trying to draw his gun out of his holster when the police officers shot him. And as soon as that happened, of course, he was an African-American, he was an African-American man. And as soon as that happens, all these protesters, people who haven't seen at the time, hadn't seen the video, they show up, they start protesting. This is another example, police brutality, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. Um, and in response to that, the police department quickly released the body camera footage. They've been wearing body cameras for a couple of years now. They released it. And the video shows Clearly, the guy was armed. No argument about that. He struggled with police. He was reaching for his holster when they shot him. Um, a few dozen demonstrators say, we don't care. We don't care about the video. We've seen the video. Doesn't matter. Doesn't matter what the video shows. We're still angry. Reverend Jesse Jackson 
demands a thorough and transparent investigation. He says trust has been destroyed in minority communities by bullies with badges in Chicago and all across the nation. Bullies with badges. All right. In Baltimore, what happened is after after at least a certain segment of the community rose up and started complaining about the police, the police simply said, okay, fine, we're going to do our job, but we're not going to be aggressive. We're not going to initiate these encounters. And what's happened? Crime has spiraled out of control. The other day in Chicago, you have a couple cops. They're on a patrol. They, they investigate a situation, and they get into a situation where the guy is, in fact, armed, tries to draw on him. They have to shoot him, and now there's all this uproar here. All right, 414-799-1620. That's the Accident Mortgage Talk and Text Line. What do we want from urban police departments? And, and, and I, I, hope, I understand it's kind of an open-ended question. Do you want, should we want, police that are being aggressive? And I'm not talking about you know, people that are stopping minorities for no reason at all. But, but in these high-crime areas, do we want the police to, to be aggressive? Do we want the police to be looking for trouble before it happens so they can foreclose it? Or would we rather have the Baltimore model, the model where, all right, let's not get involved. This isn't worth it. If somebody calls, that's fine. We'll be completely reactive um, and we'll only deal with something after it happens. Is that really the type of community that you want to live in? And, I mean, I think this is an issue in Milwaukee. Do we want aggressive policing? Do we want people that are trying to, I don't know, stop crime before somebody walks into the liquor store or the corner grocery store and, and shoots it up or steals the car? Do we want people to be aggressive? And if so, how can we expect that to happen if we're constantly second-guessing the police? 414-799-1620. We discuss next. If you're on the line, please hold on. It's 144. Jeff Wagner, WTMJ. 146, Jeff Wagner, WTMJ. Look, I, I understand that there's examples where police make mistakes. You've got some bad cops. I get it. But the standard reaction right now, the default setting by some in various communities, particularly urban communities, is every time there's a situation where a police officer shoots somebody, they've got to be in the wrong. That happened in Chicago over the weekend. There was a guy clearly armed. The video shows he's clearly trying to pull the gun out. A police officer ends up shooting him. You've got hundreds of people that are out there engaging in a protest. They're throwing bottles at the police. And, and so as a result, they release the video. They say, this is this is what happened. And then you've got a number of protesters who say, we don't care what the video says. We're still outraged. No, we're mad. Well, okay, in Baltimore, what happened after you had this blowback from certain members of the community is the police said, fine, we're going to stop being aggressive. All right, we're, if you call us, we'll go and we'll answer the, the call, but we're not going to be aggressive in trying to identify drug dealers or people with guns or whatever. And what's happened? Well, the murder rate has climbed. It's now, Baltimore has now become, you know, the murder capital of the United States. Do we want that in Chicago? Do we want it in Milwaukee? Because you can't have it both ways. Jeremy in Milwaukee. Jeremy, you're on WTMJ. Hello. Hello. What do you Thanks think? Thanks for having me on your show, sir. Sure. Um, I, I back the badge. You know, I'm I'm part of the younger generation, um, and I believe that officers have a very stressful job, and I commend them every single day for putting on their uniform and trying to protect us. You know, a lot of this could have been avoided if she simply would have complied with what they were asking for. You know, I'm not going right. to sit here and 
you know, say, you know, whether or not, you know, police are justified, you know. But the gentleman, clearly, if you would have just listened and followed their, and answered their questions, this could have been avoided. He could have been subjected to citation and been on with his very way, and his, right. and his life wouldn't have ended. And, you know, I feel that a lot of our generation feels that, oh, we're going to whip off the cell phones and we're going to do right. okay. It doesn't make a difference to me. You know, if you just comply, there's not going to be a problem. Right. I've been stopped. I've been stopped plenty of times by police officers on traffic violations. Yes, sir. No problem, sir. Whatever you want, sir. And I, I, I respect authority. You know, and a lot of times they talk about in the news, and they're very, they're very keen because they obviously want viewers. They want to stir up the pot. They always talk about, oh, it was a white officer who shot a black man. Well, why don't we ever talk about? A, a black officer killing a white man, or mm-hmm. more importantly, he was armed. He was going to shoot them. That's just what happened, and well, it's really, it's really sad that our politicians and our news they key off of that. Well, right, know, or, or that the nature. I mean, thanks. Or that the nature of you know, which brings into mind the larger societal issue that if 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 you look at a number of the areas in this country, particularly urban areas, that have the highest crime rates, they also tend to have a higher density of minority population. That's just the reality. And various minority populations, depending on where you are in the country. That just, I mean, is, is it because you're more likely to engage in this behavior because you're working in a minority area? Or from a police perspective, is it because it is a high crime area? I mean, that that's the stuff that's out there. But here's the bottom line, and this is what, the, the community has to grapple with, you know, for all the community activists who think the police are always wrong. And here we're going to and, and look and the police are wrong occasionally. I, I get that. But can you imagine being a police officer, whether in Baltimore or Milwaukee or Chicago or whatever? And you, you're saying, OK, well, I'm, I'm going to do the, my job, but I, I'm now out on the street. I see this guy who it, it looks like he's carrying a gun. I, I should maybe maybe I should go question him. Well, all right, you've got two choices. Well, if I go question him, this could go south in a hurry, and next thing I know, I could be you know subject to all these different inquiries, and I could be hung out to dry in the press, and I'm going to have two dozen people that are going to be screaming at me. Or do I just let the guy go? You know, it's just nobody's called it in. Just let it go. And if he goes down and, like I say, holds up a grocery store or knocks over a liquor store an hour later, well, yeah, maybe I could have prevented it. But you know what? I, I just, I, I just, I decided not to investigate because it wasn't worth the potential trouble. That's what happened in Baltimore. And we, we've seen the effect of that. I'm just saying you've got to be careful. You know, be careful what you wish for because you might end up um, getting it. Greg in Germantown. Greg, you're on WTMJ. Hi, thanks for taking my call. Sure. I um, I think that you know there's good cops, bad cops. There's mm-hmm. good people, bad people. There's always going to be crime. However, there is a disproportionate number of minorities that are shot and killed by officers, and rarely are they indicted. And if they are, rarely does um, most of the time they're either acquitted or they're let go or something happens and they're not punished for the crime they've committed. So as a result of that, yes, you are going to see minorities get angry and overreact. And this situation that just happened, it might have been overreaction, may not have. From what I've seen on the video, only watched it once. Um, I saw a clip of it. It looks as if that's exactly what took place. Mm-hmm. The guy, you know, had a bulge, 
reach for a gun, the cop saved his life or probably a number of other people's lives by shooting the guy. And that may be a, a valid um, situation as far as the shooting goes. But I do understand, and America needs to understand, that there is a dis- disproportionate, uh, just a large number of minorities that are shot by officers, and no one wants. I don't think people in the inner city and the, the poor crime-ridden areas, I don't think any of them want to have policemen not do their jobs. They all want that. I think every, every normal American wants The criminals don't. But I think all those people that live there want their police to police, but not. There's, there's a, there is a problem. Well, I guess my first of all, my question: Why do you? I'm, I'm just, I'm curious. Why do you think there is a disproportionate, disproportionate number of persons of color, minorities, who who end up, you know, on on the wrong side of police encounters? Why do Why do you think that? Do you think it's because they're racist? The cops are racist. I think. I think that I wouldn't say cops are racist. I think a lot of officers, and it's been said over and over again, here in Brown Deer, the lady had the guy on the ground and shot him in the back, and she feared for her life. She was afraid. I think it's a combination of race being an issue, from racist to, for whatever reason, I'm afraid of the big black guy, to, um, and, and when we're afraid of something, I don't care who you are, but when you're afraid of something, you try to protect yourself. And if you got a gun and you can protect yourself, you know, you do it. Because Steele is a good example, and um, I believe that was Minnesota, where the guy's a law-abiding citizen. He's pulled over by the cops. He tells them what he should. Hey, by the way, officer, I have a weapon in my car that's registered and so on. And the, the cop, you know, gets nervous, freaks out and shoots and kills the guy. And would, then would you agree with happened. my premise that because a lot of the high crime areas across the country tend to be more heavily minority concentrations, that that leads to more police encounters than, say, that you would have in River Hills or Fox Point or, or Mequon? Well, the River Hills is a bad example. I think you're Fox Point. Mequon might be a better example. The, um, that's a possibility, and someone can do a study on that. So when you have more encounters with officers, sure. you're going to have more incidents. But that, sure. doesn't mean, that doesn't mean that people are shot and killed, because there's a number. We had in Cedarburg a, a couple years ago where a guy's in the house, happens to be a white guy, he's in the house, and he shoots his girlfriend, he shoots at the officers, and not one shot was fired by the officers at the guy who had shot his girlfriend in the house. But they were able to apprehend this guy, right. take him into custody. You know, how can that happen? Because we care and we think about it and we know how to de-escalate things and we work on them. This guy actually fired at cops. Right, well, I guess, um, I, but part of it, I mean, Greg, thanks. I mean, I understand, and, and part of it is, I, I think part of it is a reflection of when you're dealing with one situation, like in Cedarburg, that might occur in a six-month period of time, and you've got a hostage situation, for example, versus in an urban area, Chicago, Baltimore, Milwaukee, where you're dealing with any number of these encounters on in a given night, you know, and, and individual police officers. But, but I mean, here's the flip side. And this, this isn't a blanket defense of police officers, but here's the other reality. If, if you decide that the immediate default setting is going to be we're going to riot. The cops are wrong. We're going to pull out our videotape and do our, our cameras and do this. What happens is that you have what ended up happening in Baltimore. Now, I understand that you, you want to have police not overreact. And I understand that, you know, to the extent that it's a reaction because somebody is black or brown as opposed to white, you, you need to move that, move away from that. But I think the reflection, though, is 
on, on too many occasions, it's we're going to side with the people in the community. And the effect of that then is we're not going to have aggressive policing. And I don't think anybody wants to live in that situation. 156, Jeff Wagner, WTMJ. All right, 208, Jeff Wagner, WTMJ. If you follow me on Twitter, and of course the Twitter handle is at Jeff Wagner 620, you, you would know we were going to discuss this, and you would know the answer to the question. But here, Eric Bilstadt, it's been now going on for the last nine minutes. Do you know what happened starting 2 o'clock today? I think it's, I'm going to guess Amazon Prime Day has Got begun. it in one. All this right. is, for people who do not know, this is the second biggest shopping day of the year. Mm-hmm. Second, second only to Black Friday. Yep, yep. It is Amazon Prime Day now, and it started 2 o'clock our time, 12 noon Pacific time, Three o'clock Eastern Time, two o'clock our time. Are you an Amazon Prime member? We do have Prime, yes. So All right, I'm sure we'll take a look at this. You're, you're okay, but I, you, you, you know, you're, yeah. you're, you're like hesitant here. Well, no, I just, uh, I, I have to admit, like, so we have stories about it, news stories and scripts, and uh, the network send us reps, and I am reluctant to play them because I feel like it's a free advertisement. Why don't, you know, buy some ad time, and then you can have that on the air. Well, kind of, you know, kind of like um, Krispy Kreme is like the Krispy Kreme donuts. I've just given them the free plug. But Krispy Kreme Donuts doesn't buy advertising time. Their their business model is they deliver free donuts to, like, radio stations and TV stations. So you got the, these, like, sugar-heavy Krispy Kreme Donuts that cost, what, 80 cents or whatever. And then you give them to the DJs, and everybody's, oh, we got these free Krispy Kreme Donuts. I'm the same way with that. It's oh, kind of yeah. like, oh, buy an ad, you know? I mean, oh, okay. And I've just I've just completely, you know, just shot that whole thing. But, I don't, you know, but it was, but, but that's what they, that was their model. We'll give them, we'll give that's these right. radio and TV people free stuff and they'll gush about it you know but but i hadn't even thought of that but i'm going to still do this topic anyways because i think it's got a larger issue mm-hmm. amazon prime now grew are you a member of amazon prime you are not do you shop by it you're not you're the last one in america that isn't do you do you shop over the internet at all do you, do you shop on amazon okay mrs grew does but you don't well in any event amazon prime for people who don't know is kind of the subs anybody can go to Amazon and can shop. But Amazon Prime is a, a special thing that after your 30 day free trial, you then pay for it. You can pay for it. It's like around a hundred dollars a year or you can pay for it every month. And what it does is it gives you free shipping on on the Amazon Prime products. So you save shipping. It also um gives you access and special deals with, you know, to various things that are being sold on Amazon. In any event, today is the start of Amazon Prime Day. It's a 36-hour sale, and um, there are there are all sorts of special things that are out there. And again, this has become the second biggest shopping day of, of the year. You do need to be a Prime member to access the sale, but like I say, you can register for free for 30 days and then cancel it. And I, I'm looking at the, the list of stuff, and during the course of the 36 hours, they will constantly be rolling out different stuff that, that's on sale. Not surprisingly, a lot of it relates to Amazon devices. For example, the Amazon Echo that normally goes for 70 bucks. I'm sorry, the Amazon Echo is now on sale for 
Um, $69.99, you can save $30. I, I'm looking for it. Uh, the Echo Show is on sale for $129. You can save $100 on that. The list goes on and on and on about different stuff that's there. It's gotten to the point that now a number of your brick-and-mortar retailers are are matching Amazon's prices. Um, for example, Bed Bath & Beyond, JCPenney, Home Depot, Lowe's, all say they're going to match Amazon prices in most cases. They say the policies only apply to items that are in stock and sold directly from Amazon and not one of the third-party sellers. Some, some of the big uh, outfits, Target, Walmart, and Best Buy, say they're not going to mention match Prime Day specials because they're only available to Prime members. But, of course... You, you can you can sign up to Prime for Prime for for free and then end up canceling it. But this this has become a huge thing to the point that, like I say, this is now going to be the second biggest shopping day of the year. All right, four one four seven nine nine one six twenty. That is the Acunet Mortgage Talk and Text Line. Are you planning to participate in Amazon Prime Day? Is this all a matter, is it just advertising hype, or is it something that you legitimately look forward to as an opportunity to get a bunch of big savings? And I, I, I bring this up because as somebody who's fascinated by popular culture and consumer tastes and things like that, the fact that this has been around now, Amazon Prime Day, four or five years, and it seems to be growing um, exponentially tells me that pretty soon this is going to top Black Friday as more and more people, you know, do Internet shopping. So Amazon Prime Day, are you going to be participating and why or why not? 414-799-1620, we discuss next. If you're on the line, please hold on. 214, Jeff Wagner, WTMJ. It's been going on for 14 minutes and runs for the next 36 hours. Um, we discuss in just a moment. 414-799-1620 is our number. It's 214, Jeff Wagner, WTMJ. 217, Jeff Wagner, WTMJ, 414-799-1620. That's the Acunet Mortgage Talk and Text Line. Okay, it, it just kicked off. It's Amazon Prime Day. They say this will be the second largest shopping day this year. Next, second only to um, Black Friday, the day after Thanksgiving, around the Christmas holidays. What happens is there's all these deals. You've got to be a member of Amazon Prime. But this is something that has just incredibly taken off, so much so that let me share a couple of the uh, the texts I'm getting here. I just tried going to my Amazon Prime app. It's locked up. Um, it's frozen. Another text. I would love to, but the app seems to not be working. Um, here's Prime Day. Oh, pray for your mailman. Yes, I am one. Laugh out loud. 414-799-1620. Amy in New Berlin. Amy, you're on WTMJ. Hello. Hi, Jeff. Hi, um, I Before I got in my car to drive somewhere, I was actually trying to use the app, and I keep getting cute pictures of dogs that say, uh-oh, something went wrong on our end. <laughs> so apparently we've broken Amazon. <laughs> the internet has been broken. <laughs> wow. Right. Right. So I don't know. I don't know if that means they'll extend the sale now because it's not now what almost half an hour into it. Yeah, eighteen so, minutes. Eighteen. L- let me ask you this, Amy. Have you? I mean, w- were you waiting for this? Was there something in particular you wanted to purchase, or were you just kind of curious as to what was on there? Um, well, I've been kind of in the market for a couch, actually. And I've had some friends have good luck buying furniture through Amazon. 
Okay. So I was actually looking for a couch. Okay. Because they, del- they deliver it right to your door. Right, right. So it's free, yeah. <laughs> it can't be any easier. So, yeah, I huh. was looking for that. And then um, I, I periodically buy um, pet supplies through Amazon. Um, I've had a lot of good luck buying some really cute things through Amazon and right. um, a leather purse and things like that. That in a normal store, the purse, the kind of purse that I like would cost me 40 or 50 bucks. Right. And it's normally 25 on Amazon. So if it goes on sale for Amazon Prime, I'm going to be saving even more. It's a leather purse. So okay. can't go wrong with that. Outstanding. But at least right now, it appears that people using the Internet, have, have we, we've broken Amazon. We broke it. We broke <laughs> it, yeah. Thanks for the call. I appreciate it. 414-799-1620. Um, I, to me, this is sort of interesting. Um, I, I'm one of these guys. Again, I, I'm a buyer. I'm not a shopper. Now that she said that, I'm trying to see if I can get onto my Amazon account. I'm a buyer. I'm not a shopper. And and so, I mean, I buy things when I need it. You could not pay me an, enough to go anywhere near a, a store when uh, you could just, you, you just couldn't pay me to go near a store, you know, on Good Friday, um, on, on Black Friday. And so I, I'm kind of wondering you know, would I spend time on the internet? No, I, it's, I can't, it's interesting. I can't get on. I just tried to, I'm, I'm, as am, you, I'm an Amazon Prime user and I, I, I put that in there and it's saying, um, it's saying, nope, we, we can't get you on right now. Huh. Interesting. Have we in fact broken the internet? Is it that, is it that incredibly popular? Uh, let's see. Shop all deals. Um, shop all deals. Keep trying to work on that. Um, Prime Day specials. I mean, it, they, it's kind of interesting. The Amazon Echo, uh, regular $99, now $69. Um, electronics, they've got all the different deals. Huh. It, it's something that's really kind of taken off and taken off in a big way. And I think one of the keys is it just presents and underscores the challenge that a lot of these brick-and-mortar retailers are going to have to the point that in response to Amazon Prime Day and so many people that are shopping over the Internet, now what you see happening is a lot of the brick-and-mortar stores are now saying, okay, well, we'll come in anyways and we'll match the prices if you can show us that we have them. This is clearly the wave of the future. My prediction is within the next, I don't know, couple years, it's going to be Amazon Prime Day first, Black Friday second, and every other day after that. 221, Jeff Wagner, WTMJ. 223, Jeff Wagner, WTMJ. Okay, I spent the last two minutes searching Amazon Prime looking for the, this one thing that I, I want, and I, I, don't, I don't think they have exactly what I want. Yeti, you, you ever have you know, Yeti cups there, Grill? You know what Yeti is? Like water bottles, but they also have they have tumblers and they have they have these really cool like ten ounce wine glasses that they're they're really cool. But you, I mean, I use them for soda and stuff, and we have two. And I wanted another four. I can't find them. You know, I, I you know it's I'm, I can't find, them, but they're really cool. But I was I was wondering if they were subject to like deals on Amazon Prime or not. But doesn't matter. Can't find them. All right. Interesting story in the New York Times. I understand it's the New York Times, but it's an interesting story, and it dovetails on something that we have talked about on this program before. Let me back into this. Um, my my niece, Sydney, who I just absolutely adore, I haven't seen her much this summer. She's going to be starting her second year um, at San Diego State University. She came back in mid-May, and I give her a lot of credit. She has She's been working 
um, since like the day after that she after she got back. You know, she's been working and she's had a couple different jobs. She worked at a at a garden center for like the first month and a half that she was back, and then um, after kind of the planting season and stuff. They they didn't need as much help, and her hours getting cut back. So she went and found you know a, another job. She's a receptionist somewhere, um, but but she's been working aggressively, um, and I, I think making some money to cover expenses, but also put some money in the bank to to use as spending money when you know she's she's at college, and and I give her a lot of credit for that. I've also been very impressed with her on a number of bases, but you know she's she's pretty much worked summer jobs, after-school jobs, weekend jobs, since she was old enough to do that. And and I give her a lot of credit for that. And again, um, you know, she works because she, you know, likes to have the extra money to do that. But I think it's been a, a great value as far as developing, again, I, I think some skills that you can use. I mean, she's largely worked retail, but, you know, some skills that you can use in, in dealing with, with customers and dealing with people. Now, like I say, she's going to school. She's going to get a degree in, in international business. So I doubt her future is going to be, you know, as a cashier in a, in a garden center. Now, not that there's anything wrong with that, but, but nevertheless, I, I mean, I think she's enjoyed making money and, you know, she's worked in shoe stores. She's worked in, um, kind of, uh, what I would describe as commercial jewelry stores, you know, not, not high end jewelry stores where they're selling expensive diamonds, but just, you know, the places you can go where you can buy bracelets and things like that. But, but she's worked in all those different places and, and every place has, it's been an experience that I think she can use to build on when she goes, you know, and, and gets her degree and goes under what her eventual career is going to be. I bring this up because there's a story in the New York Times today. The virtue of a summer job. The share of teenagers working summer jobs has dwindled for years, but the numbers have come back a bit in the last couple years. It's a change applauded by educators and financial advisors alike. Summer jobs are a great idea, says somebody who promotes financial literacy. Money management begins with how to get that money in the first place. Working a summer job is less common among teenagers than it once was, according to the Pew Research Center. As recently as 2000, roughly half of those between the ages of 16 and 19 worked summer jobs. That proportion dropped to about 30% during the financial crisis. Last summer, it rose to 35%, and they say this year, hiring of teenagers got off to a strong start in May. Now, I understand that there's all sorts of stuff that you know and demands on on teenagers time and if you got the kids that are in high school that you know they're off at band camp or there's you know the special workshops that they're doing on you know for tennis or for golf or for basketball or for soccer or any of that stuff so i understand that there's demands on that time and you're interested in building the resumes i for one have always believed though that again, it's not a zero sum game. You can pursue that part time job, but at the same time, you can be active. You can play in sports. You can be on the debate team. You can be on the band in the band. You can do that stuff. You can balance things out. On top of that, I think that there is something that you get from working at that, that summer job or that part time job in the school year which helps round you out as a person. 
in a way you don't get if you just stay kind of in the bubble of, of academia. And what this person was talking about, about financial literacy, I know it. I mean, I've told this story before. My first job was working in the toy department, um, first job other than cutting lawns and delivering papers and stuff like that, was when I'm 16 years old, I'm working at the toy department at the old Treasure, Depart- Treasure Island department store on Brown Deer Road and Green Bay Road. And I can remember to this day the first paycheck I got thinking, boy, that's pretty cool. You know, and then, boy, I can't believe they took all those taxes out of it. But it teaches you the value of money. 414-799-1620. That's the Acunet Mortgage Talk and Text Line. Are we missing the boat? They estimate about, like I say, 35% of people ages 16 to 19 are, are working in summer jobs. That strikes me as being low. Are we missing the boat? Do kids who don't work, do they miss out on something? 35, Jeff Wagner, WTMJ. Chris, the big breaking story is the president's semi-disastrous press conference um, that he had a couple hours ago. If you want to hear, we, we talked about it extensively during the first segment of the program. You can always check, if you missed it, you can always check out the podcast. Um, just go to WTMJ.com, and I know every month thousands of you do, and I appreciate that a lot. We'll probably revisit that uh, again tomorrow. And if you follow me on Twitter, it's at Jeff Wagner 620 um, I, I kind of share some of the stuff that we're going to do on the program on a daily basis together with my thoughts, and I, I'm sure that that story involving the president and his remarks and dissing the intelligence community. I think that's going to have some legs for tomorrow as well. Needless to say, I was not impressed by the way he handled that. All right, 414-799-1620. Interesting story the last couple of days in the New York Times. It, it says that you know a number of years ago, about 50% of the kids aged 16 to 19, I guess I'm old enough to say that if you're 19, maybe you're a kid, um, would, would work during the summer and after schools. That number is now down to about 35%, up about 5% over the last several years. I think, and this is, you know, I just, I think it is so important. It's one of the reasons I said I'm so proud of my niece that, you know, essentially since she turned 16, she's always been employed. I mean, she's always worked. If she hasn't been, I don't think she works when, you know, she's in college now, but she works during the summer. She works when she comes back on her breaks. And I think it's so important because I think that gives you a slice of the real world. If nothing else, um, it, it gives you an appreciation for money when you sit there and say, okay, um, I had to, I just had to spend eight hours on my feet, you know, as a cashier, or eight hours on my feet selling shoes or whatever, and uh, this is what my paycheck was. That's a value that you don't get if you're just getting the money from mom and dad, even if mom and dad can afford it. Josh in North Prairie. Josh, you're first. Good afternoon. Hi. Hi. So I, I just want to first start by saying that I'm 24 years old. I've been working since I was 14. Um, I started, like, in stables, like I lived on a farm and okay. stuff like that, but... Nonetheless, like I've been working since I was 14 and um, I feel like a lot of people that are younger these days are so attached to like screens and technology and like wanting to hang out with friends and stuff like that and like socializing that they don't really get that value. And Mm -hmm. and, like their cell phones more often than not, they're on their parents' plans and they, you know, I know a lot of kids that don't have to pay for them, but like my first cell phone I worked for, I had to buy it, I had to pay for it. And so, like, the value of starting that young, I think, has decreased, and I think that's why, Mm -hmm. you know, New York Times is showing 35%. Josh, let me ask you this. Did did you, when you were in school, did you work as well? Yeah, yeah. I had a part-time job. When I turned 16, I was able to obviously, like, start working 
um, outside of the stable. So I got a part-time job at a restaurant mm-hmm. and worked through school as well. Were you able to do other stuff as well? I mean, obviously, if you got to go to work, sometimes that's going to be that, that's you know you're, you're going to have to be at work as opposed to doing other stuff. But were you able to? participate in activities and and still see your friends from time to time could could you manage that so i actually was a probably the biggest band nerd you would ever meet in okay. high school and um you know when it came down to having performances and stuff like that obviously that took precedence sure um because that's ultimately what i was uh going to college for so that took precedence over the right. job, and I would just request off. But yeah, like if I need to have off for something, I would take off for it. Right, but it, it taught you a little bit about time management too, right? I mean, the idea that I gotta, I gotta figure out how I can cram all this different type of stuff in. And my guess is, learning that early on helps you at the age of twenty-four now as you try to manage your time. Yeah, absolutely. Like, I mean, I can generally kind of schedule my day and like sometimes things happen where it changes a little bit but like i can wake up in the morning and go okay this is what i need to get done today and figure out when (laughs) it's best to do that now yeah yeah yeah, i think so cool thanks for the call josh and thanks for listening yeah well i will tell you that doesn't change because i'm a little bit older than 24 and i still wake up every morning and the thing is okay this is all the stuff that i have to get done today then these are the things that my wife tells me that I have to get done today. And how are we going to manage all that to get it in? 414-799-1620. Sue in Muskego. Sue, good afternoon. Oh, hi. Hi, Sue. Thanks for taking my call. Yes, ma'am. I believe it's an important part of being a parent in general to make sure that you're teaching these life lessons, learning how to live life, pay your bills, as you said, be on time. Mm-hmm. And then it leads to re- uh, raising a responsible adult, not just sitting around, kids that are sitting around on the couch are not getting anything out of life. When their parents die, they have not, they have no idea how to do anything. But, but mom, so, but mom, I, you know, I, I've got the tennis camp and then I've got the computer camp. And that's the other thing, sir. I mean, they sign these kids up for every and mm-hmm. anything. Come on, you know, and when they go to college, I just had my daughter, she's been in college well and she just graduated, but. Um, well, she says, Mom, you wouldn't believe the stress in college because these kids leave their homes and they don't even know basically more than how to tie their shoe. Right. And now they are responsible for it. Yes, like you said, timekeeping, getting their classes right. There's a lot riding on that small life lesson that people need to really start from that work permit. I mean, when we were younger, I don't know if they even issue work permits anymore. Yeah, I'm, I'm, you know. yeah, I'm, not, yeah I'm not sure. No, thanks, Nicole. I mean, but I, I do think... Like I say, I, and I'm, I, like our, our first caller, Josh, was a band nerd. I was a debate nerd, okay? And that's, and, and, and it, it was great, but it, it didn't mean that you couldn't do, you know, other things. And I think, you know, almost all of my friends worked, you know, and we, and because you just had that extra money to, you know, to do stuff. But I, I tell you, I mean, it, it does, it, it does teach you a certain lesson. That, you, that you're not going to get from school. And this is not a knock on school a, at all, and it's not a knock from participating in extracurricular activities, which you have to do. But I, I do think there is this this value that, hey, this is kind of cool. I, I spent this time. Oh, you know, boy, I, I understand what mom and dad are talking about now when, you know, dad or mom come home from work during the day and they're really tired because I was just on my feet for, you know, X hours, and, and this is the check. 414-799-1620. Judy on the northwest side. Hi, Judy. You're on WTMJ. Hi there. I absolutely positively believe it's 
pro- it's essential to have a summer job. It helps you get ready for real life, mm-hmm. to be a real, real person. That's all parenting is. We should be here to help our peop- our children be the best people. Jobs will help them. They will take directions from other people. They need to be on time. Everything you do for this boss, you're not going to get praised and told how wonderful you are because (laughs) you're really not that wonderful. (laughs) You're just part of society. Well, you know, and I will tell you one of the other things for, for me, Judy, is now I, I always knew what I what I wanted to do, you know, with my life. But if you ever had any second doubts, I don't know about you, but I worked some really crummy jobs, exactly. <laughs> and it's like, okay, this is why I want to stay in school, and this is why I want to get my law degree because I don't want to be doing this at 90, 90 degrees in the middle of the summer. I don't want to be working at a place like this. Not to knock the people that do, but if I've got a chance to do it something different, I want to do something different. And we have such opportunities in America, I tell you, unlimited opportunities. Yeah. No, thanks for the call. I appreciate it. No, I mean, I do think that there, and and I, I think part of the thing is people can, in fact, have it all. Dave in Waukesha. Dave, you're on WTMJ. Hello. Hey, Jeff. How are you doing? Real good. Real well. Thank you. Um, yeah, obviously, yeah, I think they definitely have to. I mean, I started working at, like, eight or nine, and we live in the rural area, we live in the rural area and we're putting up a subdivision, and I'll never forget, we actually walked home from school. Okay. You know, and what we do is we stop by the construction site, me and another another friend of mine, and it would be, these guys would all, back then, back in the 60s, these guys could all, you know, they'd sit around and have a beer or whatever. They'd throw us all five bucks. You know, we'd clean up the, sweep up the floors, mm-hmm. haul the wood off and whatever. You know, it was awesome. And then, you know, it taught you a good work ethic. And then when I was, I don't know, 14 or 15 or whatever, I went to work for a company and worked on cleaning equipment and working and things like that. I want to work myself all the way up to the CEO. Right. So, I mean, all the way up, up the food chain, you know, just more work ethic. And right. that's one thing I've always taught all my kids. And they all know it because, you know, as a parent, they all know the rule of thumb. It's like, I'm not here to be loved. Right. <laughs> That's right. simple reality of it. I mean, but, but it is. It's a whole educational process of dealing with, just dealing with that, that kind of real world because now – you're not reporting to mom and dad. You're reporting to that assistant manager, you know, in the toy right. department or or whatever, or the assistant manager. Right. Yeah. You have to get up in the morning. You actually have, have to be someplace. You have to be there, show up, and you just you just you used to kill me all the time because I I get all these kids in there. Um, this is you know whatever. I get all these kids in there, and it's like after like three weeks. They were kind of looking for a raise. They said, "Well, I showed up every day." I said, "What? Well, you got a freaking paycheck?" <laughs> yeah, yeah, right, right. Yes, yes, you've right. You've 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 right. You've show, just showing up. <laughs> thanks, thanks for the call. That doesn't mean that you necessarily end up, you know, having, you know, that don't necessarily mean that, you know, you know, you end up having those days. Okay, uh, Tiffany in Brookfield. Tiffany, you're on WTMJ. Hello. Yeah, I just while I don't disagree with you or any of your callers on the value of uh, work, absolutely, it's imperative. I have a daughter who's headed off to college in the fall, and honestly, she first got her her first job this you know this year as an eighteen year old, which is kind of late relative to my experience as well. But I would like to offer the the reality check that I guess if you do have a child who's college bound or even tech school bound they want to see so darn many impressive accomplishments these days you have to have like you know created world peace before you're accepted into a university so you know working at a fast food joint while totally valuable doesn't really cut the mustard and if you're spending 
15, you know, hours a week or something of your outside time doing that, then you can't be head of the student council. You can't be, you know, some of these other things. I mean, well, really, really, I mean, I, you know, really, I mean, it's really, you you can't be, you said head of student council, but you you can't, you think you, you can't have a part-time job and also be in band or be in debate or be on the student council or, or that you, you are, are the kids are so overscheduled nowadays. Cause you know, in, in our time, you know, you could. Well, and I agree with that, but our time was really, I, I'm not saying I prefer it. I'm saying that as a parent who worked through that process with my daughter to get into one of our, you know, right. get into our state school. Yeah. Like if, if we'd have concentrated on that, I'm going to be honest with you. I don't know if she would have gotten into the school she got into just, just being huh. totally candid. It's not my personal opinion. No, no, no. And, and I think, I think it's, sort of sad because I will tell you that she has probably learned more about sure. the real world from her summer work thus far. Right. No, no, absolutely. <laughs> no. A lot of those other things. But I, I think it's a, a part of the conversation because we are looking for such, I don't know, things are rather extreme getting into college these days and competing for scholarships and so on. And I think sadly as a society we're missing like, hey, it's a really good idea to go out there and get your feet wet and learn what it's like to be a cashier and count out change and right. deal with the public that isn't always pleasant and so on. Well, it, it, thanks for call, Tiff. I wish we had more time to explore. I'm kind of up against the clock because I, I guess um, as as I think back to not let, let's let's not not me, but kids of friends of mine and things like that. The the fact they they, they got into really good universities and really good schools. Um, and they, they've, at the same time, they were able to work part time as well. And again, it's, it's, I'm talking about a part time thing and they were still able to participate in sports and still able to build resumes. If it is true that it's gotten to a point now where you, you, you can't get into UW Madison, for example, if, if, unless you, you know, have 50 or 60 or 70 extracurriculars to the point that, you know, you, you, you can't work as well. That would be a sad reflection if that really is the case. 248 Jeff Wagner, WTMJ. It's 251, Jeff Wagner, WTMJ. Let's see. Um, experts say each bad news story traumatizes us little by little and that it can be extremely destructive. John McCure takes a closer look at 320 today on Wisconsin's Afternoon News. Be sure to check that out. All right. In, in the first half hour of this hour, we were talking about Amazon Prime Day. If, if you don't know, this is like the fourth or the fifth year they've done it. And Amazon Prime, which you have to be a member of, although you can sign up for a 30-day free trial, um, for the next, for 36 hours starting at 2 o'clock, starting about an hour ago, um, you, you can get all these great deals. It is in the space of four or five years, it's already become the second largest shopping day of the year behind Black Friday. And um, we were getting a number of texts and a couple people are, are sending me screen caps of this um, right now. And I don't, I don't know how, how much of a problem or whether they fix this up. But um, it, it Amazon sale day, the, the headline is it's turning into fail day. Um, if you are trying to get on Amazon Prime and you're not able to do it, it it's not just you. Amazon Prime Day, again, it started about 52 minutes ago, and uh, the landing page for Prime Day does not work for many people. Um, when most links are clicked, what happens is you get an error page um, or you go to the landing page that sends you back to the main landing page. Now, Gru, you've been trying to get on, and you you can't. I did during the 
during one of the breaks, I was playing around and I was able to get on through the computer here. But I'm hearing from a number of people who, who just have experienced that frustration. So as one of our callers said earlier on, it is possible that this is so incredibly popular that collectively users have broken the Internet. Um, one of the interesting questions is going to be that the sale is supposed to run for 36 hours. If, if in fact it takes them a little while to get this straightened out, will they end up extending it? That's number one. But number two, for people who didn't think this was a big deal, um, there were clearly lots and lots of folks that were waiting for two o'clock hour time to roll around so they could, you know, get on and, and look for some of these deals. Uh, just like the folks that get up at four o'clock in the morning and wait in line outside the you know big box retailer trying to save thirty dollars on whatever the hot electronic item is. Um, so at least right now, some reports that uh, if you're having trouble logging into Amazon Prime, it's it's not you and it's not just you. We'll follow up on that tomorrow. It is two fifty three. When we come back, we're going to find out what John McCure has on his mind. On Wisconsin's Afternoon News. Please stick around. This is Jeff Wagner, WTMJ.